Hello, Thunder Buddies and Travellers down Thunder Road. Welcome back to yet another episode of Days of Thunder, the WCW Thunder rewatch podcast that no one asked for, but we did anyway. I'm your host, Dave Ryan of Link to the Cast, and I'm joined, as I am every week, by my uh, my travelling companion down Thunder Road, uh, Lee Malone. Lee, how, how are you this fine evening? I'm not too bad. Yeah. Happy to be back on the Thunder Watch. Yeah, I've I've written down Lee Marshall so many times. I nearly introduced you as Stagger Lee Marshall. <laughs> I would have been honoured. We call you Stagger Lee Malone going forward. <laughs> Whatever works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. How how are things going? Uh, yeah, not too bad. I mean, we're only off the back of a a full weekend. Well, a good weekend of uh, OTT wrestling. Yeah, yeah, to kind of peer behind the curtain a little bit in in the world of good wrestling, we just went to the <laughs> one of the, one of OTT's big shows of the year, maybe the big show of the year, Scrapper Mania, the National Stadium, two to two and a half thousand rabid Irishmen and women going wild for young Jordan Devlin, and the Larry Zabisco of Irish wrestling. <laughs> I was just going to say, and thankfully it didn't feel like two to two and a half thousand hours of a show like the original Scrapper Mania in the stadium. Yeah, oh, holy God, yeah, those <laughs> um, those stadium shows used to overrun by, like, I know there was a time, I think it was the Being the Elite show, that uh, I don't it think... Was, it, it was bright when we left. Yeah, like, I'm only, I only live for, for those of you who don't know Irish geography, in terms of physical distance, I live about 30 miles from Dublin, if that... No, about 30 kilometers from Dublin is how far I live. Just I'm trying to think of signposts just as I leave town here. Yeah, it's about 30 kilometers from Dublin. Um, the show ended so late that I didn't get back to my house until I think half three in the morning. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, because it was so late that the trams and everything had stopped. So I had to get a taxi out to where the 24-hour bus goes from. So it was uh, enormously expensive getting home as well after that. Uh, I know... The big, that that show it was at least half twelve part one when we left the stadium, yeah. and I remember timing when we entered the stadium. It was half five. Yeah. Oh man. Um. Yeah. But so between that and then last weekend, I was at sixteen karat gold WXW's tournament in Oberhausen, Germany, that they'd run every year, mm-hmm. which was another stellar weekend. But I'm just about tapped out on on the graps at the moment because then after all that, I had to sit down and watch more thunder. <laughs> <laughs> so I think maybe a- until WrestleMania week, I'm going to stop watching professional wrestling for a while. Take a break. Yeah, it's only about two weeks until Mania week at this point. But uh, yeah, I think I think I need the, the the time off. But I will say, um, just in terms of reception to the program, both in Germany and uh, in Ireland, a couple of times I had people chatting to me about Days of Thunder, mm-hmm. and I very much appreciate that people, whether I know them or I don't, listen to the show, and we're we were blown over with the amount of people we had listening to our Snickers sold out review in the last episode I, I think that was just sold down to Snickers really yes. <laughs> everyone loves the Snickers and yeah, um, co- like you're not you when you're hungry <laughs> um, yeah I mean look I was just blown away by the listening figures for the sold out show and just want to thank everyone Yeah, genuinely um, and the best way to uh, kind of create a big uh, support group for us all, if we're all kind of in now on Thunder, uh, is to tell a friend so they can suffer with you. I know I couldn't do this show alone if I didn't have Stagger Lee Malone on the line with me every week. <laughs> I, I I certainly, through the course of the episodes we're talking about in our little recording session we're doing now, um, it's certainly the first time where I'm like, I, I, mm-hmm. <laughs> my yeah, commitment the, is starting to wane a little bit the, the struggle has begun yeah and I, I don't think it's going to get any better um, but this is where the good content starts yeah yeah we'll, so we'll talk about that in due course but yeah like as we say we're, we're blown away by the reception to the last episode we really appreciate anybody tuning in even if you're not watching the episodes along with us um, I know uh, official friend of the show and designer of the logo and uh, the uh, the man holding a Snickers gif Keith Brony um was saying that he has never watched a, a, a moment of thunder in his life, but is really enjoying being along for the ride. So we, we do appreciate that. Um, I know Alan that uh, actually won the Oberhausen Open too. Ah, was, yes. Was saying to us, uh, saying to myself at a uh, scrapper menu that he has no intentions of ever watching thunder, but he loves this podcast. Ah, yeah, we we do appreciate <laughs> it. Like whether you know us, you don't. And as I said, you know, t- tell a friend so they can suffer as well. Like, but maybe if you want to be nice to your friend. 
tell them to listen to the podcast but not watch the show. And if you don't really like that friend but you like us so you want to give us the numbers, tell them to watch the podcast and watch Thunder. Um, best of both worlds there. And on the day of this recording, uh, the WWE Network just did a massive Thunder dump. Yeah, so, so you're, you're all even welcome more for content. That. Yeah. <laughs> That's the Days of Thunder effect, my friend. Also, Harlem Heat getting into the Hall of Fame, which yeah. I'm definitely taking credit for. Yeah, I yeah, I I actually had an idea, something to do with that. I'll, I'll chat to you <laughs> off the air about the Harlem Heat thing. Um, but anyway, uh, let's get into it. I suppose um, we're here to talk about Thunder episode four from January 29th, nineteen ninety eight, from the Mid South Coliseum in Memphis, Tennessee. I think this is the first in the in our run on Thunder where we're in. Oh, that's a, like a famous uh, arena for the wrestling. Yeah, I definitely had that when they said they were in the Mid-South. I definitely had, like, Memphis memories come to mind. Yeah, yeah, so pretty cool to be kind of in your one of your traditional southern uh, wrestling hotbeds uh, at this time. Uh, kicking off the show, we're, so this is the fourth episode, and they've already revamped the intro and the set. Uh, I don't know what I think about the intro video, which is, like, it's it's kind of, it's you know, it's 1998 cgi and it's all like you know the hollywood sign and things like that. i get it hollywood hogan's your big star i'm not wild about the intro but this might be a controversial take i really like the set i i love the set i love the look of the new set yeah. i don't know why they're after getting it only three episodes well, onto the fourth episode mm. be, just because it's 1998 wcw and why not spend more money so yeah. <laughs> they weren't already uh, spending enough yeah now the intro is shit but uh, yeah, it really is. I, I'll say what you were thinking. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the the new set I think looks looks really good. Yeah, uh, and this is the when you think of the WCW Thunder set, this is the one I certainly think of. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, now it's kind of more familiar environs. We're still not. I don't think we're we're close to when I started personally watching Thunder yet because nothing is sticking out on an individual episode yet. Uh, but certainly the set, I, I was definitely, I, I definitely remember the set um, and some things about it. And I actually do appreciate that they changed the colors slightly on the like the ring apron. Uh, the the apron looks cool with it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like a, a slate grey color yeah. almost. I think uh, like just all in all, I think this looks much more big time than the other one, which still. The, the first three episodes have that old kind of early 90s WCW feel kind of mm-hmm. that I'm, I'm, I, this feels of its time in yeah. the late 90s yeah it was kind of incongruous in the first three weeks to have this kind of hokey looking late 80s early 90s set with all the kind of cool 90s flock NWO stuff going on um, mm-hmm. so yeah this as you said this feels much more of the time uh, so I'm happy with that um, so we have our what is now I think the the default Thunder commentary team at the at the time uh, of Tony Brain and Stagger Lee Marshall joining us for the evening. Uh, they teased us with uh, Big Kev and Conan taking on the Steiners for the tag belts uh, under Wolfpack rules. Um, I don't know about you, but in the kind of hey here's what's been going on um, segment, I actually stopped and exited the episode because i thought i skipped a week <laughs> did you get that feeling i listened to them saying conan's in the main event and i wanted to turn off the show <laughs> your favorite wrestler conan has a title for some reason mm. and wolfpack rules what the fuck is wolfpack rules they're so still in the nwo something that i'm starting to realize over the next over the, these couple of episodes is that i think the the unit collectively referred to as the Wolfpack are the tag team champions because I think every time I see the tag belts, they're on two different members or at least one different member of the NWO. Mm. Like sometimes Scott has them, sometimes Kev has them, sometimes Conan has them. Um, so I think it's just a free bird rule sort of situation going on. And yeah, we, we don't... Spoiler, we don't really find out what Wolfpack rules means. Um, it means any member of the Wolfpack can defend the titles at any I, time. I'm guessing. Yeah, I'm guessing it's just Freebird rule. But, yeah. Um, yeah. As I said, they're kind of explaining things, and it made me feel like I'm, I missed a couple of weeks of TV rather than just one nitro. I think we better get used to that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway, we we went relatively quickly into the action here, and we started off with um, 
quite the matchup here, and it was a sick boy of the flock versus DDP's jacket. <laughs> he uh, he came out with the the jacket that I think matches Bret Hart's boots. Yeah, it was quite the jacket, or uh, the the leather vests. He has a leather vest, a black t-shirt, and stonewashed jeans. Mm, it's a strong look. It's um, definitely a late nineties look. It is. It surely is. But a late nineties wrestling look, which means like a late eighties outside of wrestling look. <laughs> um, yeah, that that's pretty accurate, alright. Here's the thing. So uh, Page was bandaged up, selling his uh, his internal injuries. Um, why were his bandages black? Because it wasn't a bandage, it looked like a, uh, you know, one of them heat belts that you put on for somebody with, like, lower back pain? I wrote it looked like a girdle. It could have been a girdle as well. Yeah, that's what it looked, because they said on commentary at one point that he's bandaged up um, because of injuries, and I can't remember what, like, it wasn't the injury because when he got mugged a couple of weeks ago, it was his leg that got injured, so it must be from the pay-per-view. I know. have memories of DDP constantly having like white tape around his ribs for like mm. most of his career. Yeah, so maybe it, so, maybe it really was a sneaky girdle, and he was just constantly settling. It, it could have been like that's so like the seed that what, what I assumed was this kind of heat belt or whatever it was for a back injury. Yeah, just sticking up over the jeans was pretty odd, but. I mean, yeah. if you want to say it's bandages, whatever. Yeah. Um. Kind of short match. Um. He gave. I. I thought anyway for who these two guys relatively are. You know, DDP is your United States champion and a big star to the people in the crowd. Sick boy is just a guy from the flock, and I, I think D- DDP gave him way too much of this match, even though it was quite short. He did, but I really enjoyed this match. Yeah. Oh, look, I, I quite enjoyed it, including the finish, a pop-up diamond cutter. Yep. I, 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 I must say, I, I kind of cheered in my seat. It was great, and and this is something that I, I'd kind of forgotten. Like now in 2019, I think the habit is to sort of slag Page off a little because of his love of kind of scripting out matches start to finish. Mm. But the thing you forget is the the kind of effect of that was a lot of his matches were quite good because of yeah, that. They really were. Like, I haven't been disappointed with DDP on the show at all so far. No. Um, I mean, he is fucking mega over with this crowd. I mean, mm. as soon as he comes out and does that diamond sign. Yep. The crowd are up on their feet, screaming and doing it along with them. Um, like you said, the, the pop-up diamond cutter is fucking. It's like it is the original RKO out of nowhere. Yeah, it and was. It, it always was, got a huge pop. It was really good. Uh, Sick boy sold it like he'd been shot dead. Uh, mm-hmm. Page's face when he hit the pop-up diamond cutter was a picture. Uh, it was like he surprised himself with how cool it was, which very much, <laughs> speaking of RKOs out of nowhere, reminded me of when Randy hit that pop-up RKO on Seth off the, the curb stomp. Yes. And he, he got so hyped he forgot to pin him. <laughs> That's what it felt like, that Page was like, oh my god, that looked so cool, and he took ages to get to cover him. Um, and then, yeah, one, two, three, Page into the crowd uh, as Lodian Kidman came out. I, I just want to say, uh, Sick Boy was actually kind of impressive in the match as well. He did a springboard drop kick mm. and a nip up at one stage. And this guy, he had to be like six, 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 seven. Yeah, like his page is a big boy and he didn't look, you know, page didn't dwarf him either, you know? No. Um, but yeah, really good. Um, I don't know what the the significance of Scotty Riggs slapping down Lodi was. Yeah, I got, I got yeah, I got nothing on that. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I know they played it up a bit, so I, I maybe yeah. they'll come back to it. I don't know. It could be something that gets dropped. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a flip Who knows? It's, it's, the yeah. Of, it's the flock. They'll be there for the whole fucking show. Uh, the the next segment, we have Tanae and JJ Dillon, and we got an official title for what JJ Dillon, we were talking um, in an earlier episode about how it's very unclear who the authority figures are and what authority they have. So, uh, J.J. Dillon is officially the chairman of the WCW Executive Committee. So he speaks on behalf of the people that have no idea what to do about the world title. Um, We got a little bit of news that as of Nitro, 
the power bomb, the jackknife power bomb, is banned because you recall on the pay per view, uh, the giant got dropped on his head uh, by a kind of he Nash didn't quite get him up for the jackknife, but still dropped him anyway. Um, so the power bomb is banned since Nitro. Uh, but on Nitro, Nash still jackknifed Ray Trailer, and JJ announces that Nash is fined a sum of 50k. Uh, I was just going to say, he announces the fine, and the fans boo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it comes back to your point of, there's nothing that wrestling fans love more than when somebody is fined. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm low. Like I really should keep a running tally at the back of my little notes copy here of the arbitrary numbers for fines and clauses and things like that. We've we've now run the gamut from there was something that was oh was attacking the referees was five grand, five grand for Scott Steiner. I think he did it two weeks in a row as well. Yeah, we've got fifty k now for doing a power bomb, and we have one million dollars for a hold harmless agreement. Wasn't that one and a half million? Oh, was it one point? It was one point five million dollars. My apologies. Yeah, because uh, now, like, did we ever find out if the winner of that match got three million dollars, uh, or did the money just get returned to them? Funnily enough, I I, I don't think it was mentioned again. <laughs> like, did did the money just stay in WCW coffers? I I appreciated how I believe when the the fifty k fine was announced. I think it was Tony was absolutely appalled by it again and described it as um, one of the biggest fines in the history of the sport, which is patently not true. (laughs) I believe that's approximately one thirtieth of the the potential fine that would have been levied against the giant last month. That's true, yeah. Uh, But there you go. Tony is upset anyway. Um, Our next match... Uh, Meng versus Jim Duggan, to which I wrote, "What year is this?" <laughs> it, it's it's plausible, isn't it, that this match could have taken place at any point between about 1980 and 2003, and it would be hard to tell what year it was. Yeah, and it was like it could have happened in Mid South, it could have happened in Jim Crockett, yeah. yeah. it could have happened in WWF, could have happened on Heat. In yeah. 2003. <laughs> Could have fucking happened anywhere. Could have fucking happened anywhere. I loved, I can't remember who it was, but somebody called Duggan the Hacker. <laughs> the- <laughs> There's a couple of weird, like, I don't know if it's just that the commentators fancy themselves coming up with great nicknames for guys, but there's a few across the next couple of shows that I've kind of made me raise my head as I was taking notes. Uh, Ming wins a shite match anyway with the, mm. the Tongan death grip. Um, which again, always liked the tongue and deck grip. It was always put over very big as this just devastating nerve hold, um, and this kind of thing. Where we, you know the the philosophy in wrestling that you should be able to uh, hit your finisher on anybody from anywhere mm-hmm. as a complete surprise, and the tongue and death grip is a perfect example of that. Uh, be- before you rush off this match, I loved Ming no selling the two by four getting cracked across his back. Yeah, yeah, just and, and then he pops up and this this is gonna blow your mind. Do you remember Seth Rollins NXT run? <laughs> okay, wait, is this the comparison that you <laughs> that you tweeted out? Yeah. Oh, okay, right. So uh, I I owe you a pint then. Um, do you, this, do you... isn't, this isn't what I thought. I will tell you the one I thought you were going to make later let on me, in the show. Let me get to it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you remember Seth Rollins' NXT run? It, very vaguely. Okay, do you remember when he was champion and he would make his entrance? Yeah. And do like the kind of trash metal yeah, yeah. kind of stomp Seth around. Seth Metal, as everyone called it at the time. Yeah, Seth Metal, yeah. Okay, when Ming pops up, he does something very similar. <laughs> he just starts fucking uh, skanking around. As he starts skanking around, throwing his hands and feet everywhere, <laughs> and then locks in the tongue and neck grip. Oh my... That's and all I can help think is maybe Seth Rollins was a big Meng fan. <laughs> Watching his Meng tapes. Watching Worldwide on Saturday night. Watching King Haku throw <laughs> down. With the hacker. That's great stuff. Oh yeah, the hacker, obviously. Um, our, our next segment, and this is worthy of note for something that I showed you over the weekend. So there's a tease for WCW Saturday night this week and you know they do the usual this show has been running for so long. It's a it's a staple of, of WCW, of televised wrestling. Uh, and among the matches they announce, uh, 
is a Goldberg versus Meng match, which is notable uh, for one reason. And I had just happened to, and I believe it was at Boss Moz on Twitter that had this um, had this gif. I'm trying to look it up as we're talking about it to make sure I attribute the credit correctly. Um, but regardless, this is notable because in this match, in the space of about 15 seconds... Oh no, sorry, it was at the Emil J on Twitter. I know Boss Moz has been doing a lot of WCW stuff, so that's how I got confused. Uh, yeah, in the space of about 15 seconds, Bill Goldberg nearly kills Meng and then nearly kills Jimmy Hart. Terrifying. Absolutely fucking terrifying. <laughs> so, like, uh, allow me to... The reason I, when I saw this gif that I knew it was this exact match was because of Jimmy Hart's hideous lime green shirt he's wearing on Thunder that he's still wearing on the Saturday night tapings. So he kind of, Meng runs at him and he's in the center of the ring and he goes to power slam him, but Ming kind of doesn't tuck to allow him to go over. And he just ends up kind of harpooning him onto the ground head first. And then he gets up and for reasons that are beyond my understanding, Jimmy Hart gets up onto the top rope and kind of is about to, I assume, launch himself at Goldberg. Goldberg picks him up in the gorilla press position and dumps him onto the top of his head as well. And how either, let alone both of these men, survived this 15-second murder, uh, I will never understand. I don't know. Goldberg gets more over with me because of it. (laughs) I mean... He he looks like an absolute beast. Yeah, well, that's it. Like, even when he's out of control, it's just... It looks devastating. Uh, And thankfully, the two lads were fine. Um, I, I did have a thought about Jimmy Hart's lovely lime green and black checkerboard shirt. Go on. It looked like a rejected Croatia away shirt from the early 90s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. Or like a kind of um, one of the trendy Nigerian kits from a, a Cup of Nations or something like that. <laughs> um, it also reminded me of, I have a very distant relative who is uh, synonymous with um, never going to any family stuff except the afters of a wedding or similar event where this relative, she can come and get her fill of free food. Okay. And then as soon as the meal is over, she leaves. (laughs) (laughs) Swear to God. And like, she's been doing this as long as I've been alive and probably longer. And uh, pretty much has one dress for such occasions, a similarly lime green ensemble. Uh, and that's immediately what anything, any sort of lime green clothing reminds me of. So there's just a, a peek into my strange life. <laughs> um, next match is a Ravens rules match, which I assume just means there are no rules. It's uh, Raven versus Marty Janetti. And boy, I, I was starting to think it's like just looking at these two men across the ring from each other this is the mid 90s summed up because you have the kind of the cool attitude era aesthetic of raven he there like looking like he's just been dragged out of a lake in his cut off jeans and his kind of his, his his rock and roll look and then you go across to neon colored new generation ass marty Janetti standing there like he's about to start his new workout video yeah, Marty couldn't have looked any more out of place on this or in this specific match anyway. He looked, um, he looked so far on the program, he has looked very out of place. Where I know there's a lot of kind of old Fed guys that have come over at this point, and they they come in and out um, basically as jobbers, a lot of them. But he's the one so far. I'm like, ooh, Jesus! <laughs> like it, it was only what three years almost to the date that Marty was the IC champ in the Federation. Mm. It was like 95, January 95, I think it was, he beat John. And, I mean, in those three years, he has just become such a relic compared to everyone else in the business. He's just one of those that, and there were a case of a lot of wrestlers at the time where the business moved on and evolved and they just didn't. They kind of stuck with the old shtick. Like mm-hmm. Even Hogan evolved, obviously, quite infamously into Hollywood Hogan. And kind of Marty Jannetty just knew how to be the old Marty Jannetty. And it hadn't been long enough for it to be ironically cool again. So he was kind of, yeah, he was adrift here, I think. Yeah, like when he came back in 2004 for the Michael's Angle. Or no, 2005, wasn't it, for the Michael's Angle program? yeah 21 yeah and it was kind of like the ironic love of marty janetti from the late 80s 
yeah. still still dressing like Marty Jannetty from the late eighties. <laughs> yeah. um, I will say, like we had such one, a good match against Kurt Angle, they were they hired him again, and then fired him again. Yeah, good to stuff. rehire him again and fire yeah. him again, like they did fucking twenty odd times. Yeah. Um, like his big offense in the match here with Raven is hair whips. Like it's just, uh, it's poor. It's really bad. Um, I I did love the bump he took on the outside into the ring post. Yeah, holy fuck! Kidney first, Raven like just flings him. Yeah, fair play. Like just proper, just went hell for leather. It looked it looked great. Um, um. So at one point in this match, Raven hits the infamous drop toe hole on the chair, the move that blinded Scotty Riggs. Um. This devastating, and the commentators really hammed it up. Like, oh my god, he's after doing it again. And Janetti sold it for all of about ten or twelve seconds by my count. Mm-hmm. Blinded a man, but you know you can't. The one half of the rockers, he's not just a man. How how was he blinded on a flat surface? I I don't know. I I really. It'd be one thing if, and it'd be very Raven for how to for him to have some sort of edged weapon. Or something, but I guess maybe standards and practices and TV in the nineties, you couldn't exactly, I don't know, do a like, drop toe like, hold onto a fucking machete or whatever. If if he done the drop toe hold onto the back of the, like you know the the tall part of the chair where it's kind of like just the, yeah yeah if he just kind of turned it one eighty degrees yeah that would make a bit more sense, but mm. the actual C part doesn't. Yeah, um, I did like that. Remember, I brought up Raven wearing odd boots. Yeah, I know exactly where you're going with this. this is the next thing I have written down. And they explained it. Yeah. That's brilliant. They explained that he has an ortho- orthopedic boot. Yeah. One leg is, an, I think, an inch and a half shorter than the other. Yeah. Now, um, they implied that it kind of always been like that. But I remember listening to an interview with Raven uh, where he was talking about it was just because even at that point he had had so many knee surgeries that his leg was just stunted. Oh, fuck. And shorter. So- it was legit, like... Yeah, yeah, apparently, <laughs> like, unless he's still kayfabing it, which, like, it's fucking Raven, maybe he is. Um, but, yeah, that's... If, and if you Google it, because I was like, do I remember that correctly? And I Googled it, and there was a thing about knee surgeries and having one leg shorter than the other. I don't know if it's as dramatic as a whole inch and a half, as they were saying. Um, but, yeah, yeah. Fair play, man. Gave his, gave his leg to the business, essentially. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, when Raven goes for the even flow... DDT for the finish there's a guy on the hard camera side he's about halfway up the crowd and he is the most white trash looking motherfucker from 1998 (laughs) in in a white vest and it's either a choker on his neck or a barbed wire tattoo going around his neck either or would be very 90s it's hard to tell from the camera with the distance and all that but he loses his mind (laughs) this this was kind of like around the high point for the barbed wire tattoo yeah. Uh, usually around the bicep. But this was definitely around yeah. the neck. And Whatever it was. And it was either a choker or a, uh, or a tattoo. And yeah. Yeah, so Raven wins this with the even flow DDT. And um got to say, because um, again, it has been years since I've watched Raven regularly, that DDT is class. Oh, the DDT is so brilliant. There's such a snap to it. Like, it really feels like a... At this point, obviously, the standard... Uh, Jake Roberts DDT is kind of pale by this uh, pale pales in comparison to the stuff people are doing as finishes in 1998. Mm-hmm. Um, but every so often you get somebody who does the DDT slightly differently, and and it looks great. And yeah, this there's just as I said, such a snap to it that it, it feels like a really devastating move. Oh, I mean, for me on the the uh, DDT Hall of Fame, it's it's Aaron, Jake, yeah. and Raven. Yeah. The three best DDTs in the history of the business. Oh, you'd be you'd be hard pushed to argue otherwise. I would say. Um, I don't know if you noticed this, but after the finish, you can see a cameraman. He gets down off the corner pillar thing that I love, where they get the corner shots. Yeah, and he walks towards the crowd, and you can see him with his hands telling them to boo, literally with the thumb <laughs> down. He's pointing at like pointing the camera at them with his hand doing the boo signal. I did not notice that, and I'm really, I, I'm already, you're, you're showing me up here in my usual, like, watching the crowd when I'm bored, but I guess I'm just super into Raven and didn't notice this shit. Yeah, uh, but I'll, what, I'll, I'll send off, I'll send it off to the uh, gift maker. <laughs> indeed. Uh, 
But I will say, where uh, there's something I did notice when they came back from the break, you know, a kind of trope of WWF and WCW programmers is anybody of of note in the crowd they tend to show them, and this is one of my favorites of all time because they show the legendary Jerry Lee Lewis, Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, as they pointed out. <laughs> And he's kind of, yeah, he's waving, he's having a good time, thumbs up. And then in a moment that made me cry laughing that I had to pause the recording, it slowly zooms out and he's sitting directly behind the flock. Who are just, he's just happy as anything. It zooms out to these guys trying to look real, like, disaffected and sad and grim about it. It's just fucking brilliant. I love love that, yeah. uh, Did you catch Heenan's line? What did he say? (laughs) Okay, so they were trying to explain to Heenan who Jerry Lee Lewis was. Yeah. And Marshall is going through all his songs or whatever. And Heenan goes, Oh, he's the one with the with the puppet, Lamb Chop. <laughs> oh and Bobby Heenan confusing Jerry Lee Lewis with Shirley Lewis is <laughs> the high point of the show. That's good times. Uh we have <laughs> we we have our next match which is Yuji Nagata, uh, accompanied by, of course, Sonny Ono, versus Goldberg. And I, well, I was elated. This is not a Goldberg match I remember. No, it's not, but I have a question. Yes. Is this in the martial arts division? I, it was certainly contested as if it was. Um, and I suppose if you go by what they said a couple of weeks ago, any of the matches with the Japanese talent are now contested under martial arts rules, aren't they? Who knows? And I'll, t- I'll tell you one thing. I think it's the first time I've ever used this phrase in my life, but this match starts off with what I can only describe as a stiff judo roll. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, Yuji- that, that's definitely the way of describing it, yeah. Yuji Nagata performs a judo roll that looks stiff to get into an armbar position. And then, when, like, he, he's really, like, coming out of the traps, hitting Goldberg and everything he's got. So he got him into the, the armbar for a second. But when Goldberg gets up, he kicks the motherfucker in the heart. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, kicks him right in the fucking heart. Um... And then Goldberg takes control of the match very quickly thereafter. And this is where I thought you were coming in with a comparison where Goldberg hits a gator roll, shades of Scotty Davis. No, I didn't. I didn't notice that one. Well, I noticed the, I noticed the move, the uh, rolling neckbreaker kind of thing. Yeah. So he... And, ba- and, he go on, yeah. I was just going to say, and I fucking, I loved it because he blocks Nagata's suplex attempt. Yeah. And before his feet touch the ground, he is almost rolling into the neckbreaker. Yeah, so he essentially hits like a gator roll neck breaker situation and immediately before Yuji Nagata even knows where he is, he's been speared. Yeah. Uh, and then Jackhammer and like fair play to Goldberg. We already know he's a very strong man. Yuji Nagata is not the easiest man to get up for the Jackhammer. No, I was shocked by like how big Nagata was at this point. Like I'm even not... even now, I walked past him a couple of years ago at a Rev Pro show in in the York Hall, and you know he's not as tall as he looked on television here, but he's still to this day got a bit of thickness to him, you know. Yeah, like I wouldn't be overly familiar with a lot of his work from New Japan, like is is mm. in his prime, but like to see him next to Goldberg, like he wasn't small. No, no. And he Jesus. just gets him up like fucking like he's nothing. Like oh like he was made of paper. Yeah. It was it was ridiculous. The the Goldberg train rolls on. Uh we got a great line, a great line from Tony at the end of this that I do not understand. You better call him Mr. Goldberg and that's what it is. Yeah, they carry that on to next week. Yeah. They shouldn't Mr. have. Mr. Goldberg. <laughs> I just have images in my head of him doing promos. Mr. Goldberg. Goldberg. Um, they kind of do a, a bit of a Basil exposition scene here um, where they're talking about, and this is like deja vu all over again. The NWO have been arriving in different limos. Not because, you know, there's fucking 20 odd of them. How many fucking times are they going to do this? I don't know. I, I'd say, I think it just keeps happening until the company yeah. shuts down. <laughs> so they kept buying two limos a week. That was what bankrupted them. <laughs> AOL Time Warner merger happened and they was like, look at the fucking limo budget they're spending down here. 
Fuck me. Um, wasn't this all because Liz was in Hogan's limo? Yes. Yeah, this, so, this is what I caught. I, yeah, yeah. So this was their. They arrived in two separate limos again, and then as the show went on, Savage got word that Liz was in Hogan's limo. Now, surely. God bless Randy Savage. I know he's they're doing the thing where he's an insane person at the moment, but surely he would have been able to figure out if she isn't in my limo, she must be in that limo. <laughs> well, surely, see- <laughs> presumably, when they left the house and he noticed she wasn't in the car, that would have been when he would have raised some concern. But no, they're divorced already. Yeah, yeah. So he wasn't in either of the limos. Yeah, where he, was he, he? He arrived in a rental car. <laughs> And apparently he was yeah, in such right. such a, such anger he couldn't open the boot on the rental car. <laughs> and he even comes out with the line, who'd rent a car to that man? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, who'd rent a car? That's right. Yeah, now I remember. He went nuts. There's a there's a, a, a Luis Piccoli who would do Guerrero match happening in the ring. And fucking, he just comes out. <laughs> interrupts it Louis seemed absolutely delighted to not have to wrestle anymore if you notice Savage is in the ring and he's throwing his arms up in celebration in the yeah, background he, he, he seemed to be in a pinning position gets up and like celebrates even though nothing happened I was like hey my buddy Randy's here <laughs> <laughs> he's delighted to see him and yeah then it becomes like the Hogan versus Savage fucking who can cut a better shoe promo I'll tell you what, there's a couple, Hogan is back on form here, he has a couple of absolute pearlers in this promo here. So, firstly, that tickled me, is that he referred to Conan as K-Dog, which is... He's he's so cool. He is such a white man. (laughs) Uh, They they referred to our our friend and, and Days of Thunder mascot Lex Luger as Flexi Lexi. That's the one I got. Which I loved. He said, and I quote, and this is one of those where it's both Hulk Hogan the character and Hulk Hogan the man, uh, Terry Balea, saying this. You know he believes this. Where he said, and I quote, I'm responsible for the whole success of wrestling. All of it. And then he hit, Then he, he, he kind of tags off with the, the line that he's, he says repeatedly uh, over the course of this show and the next show. Uh, that obviously he thought he came up with a great joke and just said it again and again. And that sting will be stung. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's just a kind of, they've agreed that, Randy, you know, you go your own way. You look after yourself. Uh, we're not going to look out for you. We're not kind of, we're not going to attack you, but we don't. He, he doesn't want any NWO help, but he's still in the NWO. Mm. He is, I, w- I think you would describe a NWO adjacent at the time. What, what What's that phrase they love in America? An island unto himself? Yeah, indeed. An island unto himself. That is a perfect way to put it. Uh, speaking of NWO stuff, Scott Hall is out. And this is, I think, the first time we've seen that. And I can't remember the context for this. Do you remember what this NWO t-shirt is about? Six. Wearing? Oh, it's the six one, is it? It's the six ball for six. Ah. It was obviously Sean Maltman. And he was out at this time with a neck injury. That's and right, because they will... refer to him on the next show. Uh, Dusty refers to him in a promo And as well. it will be around maybe the time of next week's show, possibly the one after that six gets fired. Ah, because, yeah, but... I like I, I remember him being there, all right, but I, I, I don't remember this T-shirt at all. And I yeah. was just kind of, I was, and like a few of the NWO guys were coming out wearing it. So that thank you for clearing that up for me. Um, apparently this particular NWO short it was like the NWO logo on the front and the six ball on the back apparently it was yeah. like one of the best sellers oh interesting um, well that's gone by listening to Between the Sheets and stuff like that where they yeah. have all the figures and stuff but um, yeah, yeah apparently it sold really well but yeah a lot of them come out over the next two shows wearing the six short because obviously behind the scenes there's a lot of stuff going on between Hall Nash Bischoff, Hogan, and Waltman is the one that gets fired. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. A rare bit of context on Days of Thunder. I appreciate that, people. It won't happen that often. <laughs> um. So yeah, Scott Hall's out. Uh, he confirms that it's going to be, or sorry, the the commentators confirm as he's coming out that we're going to get a Macho Man versus Lex Luger, Flexi Lexi. 
no disqualification at Super Brawl in just a few weeks. Uh, Scott essentially cuts a promo saying that he won World War Three. He should still be the number one contender. And even though it was thoroughly explained to him why he's not the number one contender right now, but will be after they've sorted the title situation out, he's still mad about it. Um, it's kind of it's not a great promo by Scott standard Scott. Uh, Scott Hall standards but he concludes it basically by saying he's coming after JJ and Piper and anyone else in, in authority in WCW then Dusty Rhodes comes out and even though I hate the Dusty joining the NWO thing I must say he cuts a fabulous promo here yeah I wasn't expecting him uh, to give like a proper justifiable reason for yeah. for joining but he actually does this is the thing, right? So he he get, he basically explains why, you know, the wrestling traditions were dying and, and things like that and gives, like you said, a very well-reasoned argument as to why he joined the NWO, by the end of which I'm just like, they're still supposed to be the heels, you know, in theory. They were, but did you listen to Hall's survey right before you brought out Dusty? Yeah. He did the, the it, whole like, the, the survey and WCW got booed. Yeah, which is funny because, and and this is the thing. Um, the fu- next week it's a slightly different reaction, but we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, because a great promo about how great the NWO are and about how bad the and this is a phrase I did not think was going to come into promos for another ten years. He started giving out about marks on the internet. <laughs> Yes, he did. That was that was also after the NWO music played to cut him off, and he just kept going anyway. <laughs> the NWO music cut him off, Oscar speech style, and he cut the music off, <laughs> and then chastised whoever was playing the music. It's yeah. like I got one more thing before you play that music, it was and he ver- had two or three more things to be exact. It was the verbal equivalent of him putting his hand in front of Stephanie's face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and I thought that was going to be the end of the, the, the Hall and, and Dusty thing here. No, but we get Hall versus Disco. Um, Dis- Disco was over. Yeah, Disco. I don't. Dude, I've never gotten it. I never will get it. And I can't believe this is something that's that's been announced since our last recording. Is that he's going to be on the WrestleMania weekend Impact pay-per-view. He is. In 2019, Disco is getting a pay-per-view match versus Scarlet Bordeaux. Because of course he is. Is he being is he being uh, advertised as Disco? I think he uh, is, isn't he? I, uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll look it up here as we're talking. Talk me through this match as I'm looking it up. The, there's not much to it. Um, Scott comes out. He choke slams. Or Disco comes out and uh, Scott choke slams him very early in the match, and then does the whole mocking the giant thing, which never is not funny to me. Yeah. Uh, no very, one will ever be as good as the Rock. That's true, but Rock did the whole more the, uh, the, the hand thing, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, the best people at making fun of the big show are The Rock and Shane McMahon. That's true. Uh, but very quickly, Disco hits a charpuster, which is his version of the stunner. Yeah. And Dusty has to pull Hall out of the ring because he was going to be beaten by yeah, Disco yeah. Inferno. That was I thought that was crazy. They this must is, have really liked Disco that he essentially had a visual pin on Scott Hall. This is number one contender to the world title, Scott Hall. <laughs> about to be pinned by the Disco Inferno. Uh, uh, so he's being billed as Glenn Gilberti. Oh, okay. Uh, just just found it there on, on DivaDirt.com. His TNA slave name. Yeah. <laughs> so fucking weird even the impact tweet that announced that this is not a typo this is not a mistake this is a real pro wrestling match i disagree poor garrett poor garrett <laughs> poor scarlet <laughs> um, anyway uh during this match conan is referred to as one of the greatest wrestlers in the world and i could not fucking disagree anymore with that <laughs> statement i tell you that <laughs> It's getting to the point where I'm going to have to get you like some item of Conan merch. You do and I will fucking burn it. I will make a video <laughs> of me burning. Oh yeah. Uh, although I did, like you said, I did appreciate, even though it wasn't necessarily the top one or two, his mocking of the, the giant was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, both doing the choke slam and their... Yeah. <laughs> um, I loved after Hall wins with the outside of the chain and yeah. says, he plants him like a geranium. 
Yeah, and he does like right onto the the kind of nape of the neck, top of the shoulders. Yeah, um, I I would not have liked to have taken that bump at any time. I would not take a razor's outsider's edge, whatever era you want to take it in. I no thank you. Um, that's for sure. Uh, next segment, Nick Patrick is out. Uh, to explain his actions with uh, regarding the Phantom Fast count from Starcade right before we started our run here on Thunder. And uh, he's talking to Mike Tanay. Now, I have a couple of observations on this before I hand over to you, Lee. Um, the first thing, Tanay's tan blazer uh, and kind of his complexion made him look like a geography teaching vampire. <laughs> and it hurts me to say that because I love the Professor Mike Tanay or Iron Mike Tanay, if you want to call him that. Um my other observation here in terms of how people are looking is my god does 1998 Nick Patrick look like current day Danny McBride (laughs) like he looks like he has just walked off the set of Eastbound and Down I could not fucking get over it (laughs) I didn't notice but as soon as you say yeah Yeah. 100% oh my word Um, and here's your thing so he's he's talking about uh, how you know cadences and things like that you know no two referees have the exact same cadence blah 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 blah. and as he's I'm kind of like drifting in and out of attention as he's saying this hence why I'm talking about geography vampires (laughs) but something occurred to me about 30 seconds into the segment Lee can you answer me this question Mm -hmm. I think you know the question I I know what you're going to ask if Nick Patrick has been suspended for a month Mm -hmm. already a month and a week why in the fuck is he in his gear? Because you always bring your gear, brother. <laughs> you always be prepared to work. Um, yeah, it makes no sense that he would be on doing an interview in the referee short with the dicky bow. Yeah. As, Red- as if as if we wouldn't fucking recognize him in any other. <laughs> like, you know, I get if Rey Ray Mysterio would come out in his mask all the time at this point, because like, okay. At this point, he hasn't been in a mask. You wouldn't recognize him without the mask. It's not as if, like, Nick Patrick walks out in a tracksuit and you're like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> is that Kenny Powers? <laughs> what? Jesus. Anyway, um, he he throws his hat in the ring to ref the rematch at Super Bowl. And another question I have for you, Lee. Speaking in kayfabe, trying to figure out the logic of WCW, why would WCW do that? Yeah, I have no idea why they would give this job to the man who quite blatantly fucked up in the main event of their biggest show ever. It's like, Uh, we're doing a rematch of the biggest match ever that was ruined last time. Let's get the man who ruined it, the one man that we could probably guarantee would ruin it again. That has, I think for over a year, been closely associated to the NWO. Yeah. And yeah, it, it just, it makes no sense that he'd put his name in for it again and... I, well, no, it makes sense like it makes sense for his character putting his name like trying to get in but assuming that what's going to happen is yes WCW are going to let him do it because I, could ju- I just have this feeling I'm trying to understand why that why he would even be in contention from their point of view I don't know maybe a lawsuit who knows he would be in my mind the one person on the face of the fucking earth that you wouldn't want refereeing that match but you know that's just me I guess. Um, our next match is Perry Saturn versus Booker T. Um, really, this match starts at about 60 miles an hour. Um, Booker goes to throw Saturn. This is a kind of a... I really should have written down the timestamp on this because I'd love to get a gif of this. It starts off really intense. And then Bo- they're on the outside. And Booker goes to throw Saturn over the rail onto the flock and completely fucks it. <laughs> I don't know whether it's that Saturn mistimed his jump or he just slid off Booker or what, but he kind of goes arse over tea kettle into the railing and he kind of has to throw him over the rest of the way. Yeah, um, it was really weird. It just it did seem just really like badly timed or miscommunication or whatever. Yeah, from um, two guys, you would not have expected something like that, you know? Yeah, I mean, um, I thought, like, other than that, Flow I thought the match was really good. Like mm. you were saying, it started at sixty miles an hour. Like this was not Martel versus Booker, which we said was 
kind of out of place in 1998, whereas this, like, this was a perfect TV match, I thought. Two two guys I I loved to watch back mm-hmm. in the nineties. Like I'm a huge fan of Booker T, and I love Perry Saturn as well. So this is good. Uh, really distracting during the match though. Lodi, as he often does, walking around with signs. This one mm-hmm. saying Kidman, the real luchador. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it makes no sense at all mm. for this match. Um, at one point, Booker takes a scary bump on a uh, T-bone suplex. Like yeah. very very high on his neck. Yeah, uh, that that yeah, <laughs> I kind of winced a little bit at that. Mm-hmm. But you know, apart from that, really enjoyable TV match, as you say. Um, our our next segment we have a flash a flashback to more macho madness from Monday. Uh, macho essentially tried to kill Lex <laughs> uh, with was it elbows. Yeah, I think he was doing repeated top rope elbows. That's right, yeah. He kept doing the, the macho elbow off the top like over and over again. Um, Sting uh, Sting came out to beat him up and the NWO who were ringside kind of just walked past and left him fend for himself. Um, yeah, the, so yeah. The, the coolest part of it was Sting knocks Savage off the top rope as he's descending from the roof. Yeah. Which I thought was pretty cool. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. But other than that, the segment was... Trash. not much yeah <laughs> uh, then we have a match that had me in terms of wrestling quality rubbing my hands together uh, in prospect we had Chris Jericho and Eddie Guerrero versus Benoit and Malenko uh, and I love so on the WWE Network version which is the version the only version we really mm-hmm. have ready access to uh, Jericho's music is dubbed over with his, his fed music which as we've said before is some of the, the greatest theme music ever composed for a wrestler mm-hmm. so you know if they're going to dub over with a song then I'm glad it's that one uh, but it is kind of funny to see mean mugging Eddie Guerrero coming out <laughs> the dubbed over Jericho music yeah um, I think this is the one and only time Jericho and Eddie team up wild isn't it like you have these people around all this time and you don't do more with them in that context because I don't know whether it's Eddie's book or Jericho's one of Jericho's books he they talk about they wanted to kind of be like a, a semi-regular team like be friendly in storyline yeah and it, they said it happened one time I'm, I'm assuming this is the one time yeah they they were much unless you read the books um their books you wouldn't have realized that they were quite good friends yeah um because you know when you see jericho talking interviews about his his friends from the wcw time and before he always mentions benoit Mm -hmm. and the like uh, and lance storm obviously but uh him and eddie grow were were great mates is it's in the first jericho book isn't it where they talk about um being down in mexico yeah, he was down in Mexico at the time of the big Los Gringos logos run and stuff like yeah. that. He was he with was he was in he, the, he was with Eddie when Art Bar died, wasn't he? Yeah, he was in the hotel. Yeah, that Art died in. Yeah. Um. So yeah, they the two guys with lots of his uh, lots of history together. Mm-hmm. Honestly, uh, from bell to bell, I did not take notes because no. I just fucking sat back and enjoyed this at the beginning. It like I after about a couple of minutes in I just wrote everything is so smooth and has such a snap like it's just everything is just it's so great like just sitting back and watching it this is a thing where like given the we we talked about a couple weeks ago given the massive caveat required for you to sit down and comfortably watch this this match um, if that's something you're willing to do this is one that's worth rewatching and isn't Mm. one that I hear like it's not that long but uh, I don't hear come up uh, in the the kind of the great canon of TV matches mm-hmm. any of these men had. Um, so Benoit taps Jericho uh, to yep. cross face for the finish. Jericho still celebrates because even though he lost, he's still the champ. <laughs> I appreciate that. What a shit heap. Um, really good match. Like I said, didn't even take notes. Um, it, this match uh, leading towards the finish had one of my favorite tropes in wrestling as a, a child at the time. I would have been about eight years old when this match was on, when this match aired. Uh, and that is the idea of a top rope move setting up a second top rope move. Uh, so we had, uh, was it, mm, yeah, Malenko hitting a superplex on um, Jericho, yeah. uh, putting him in the path of the headbutt, and then that eventually leads to the, the cross face. Well, so, what, I, what I loved especially about it was while Malenko was doing the superplex, 
Eddie also went up to the top and went for the frog splash on Malenko. Mm. And Dean got his knees up and that left the way clear for Benoit to get the top. Yeah, that was great. It was great. Just four men who fucking knew exactly what they were doing, mm-hmm. <laughs> to say the very fucking least. Um, So match ends. Benoit is left in the ring and... It's it's a well-worn thing that was said about Benoit back in the day. For as great as he was in the ring, when you stuck a microphone in front of him, it was a different story. And he cuts a very, very poor promo, I think, here. Um, just really fucking awkward. And he clearly kind of memorized a few lines and smudged them a bit. And um, not yeah, great. Yeah, it was very dry and just kind of like... Like you say, it, it felt like he was kind of rem- trying to remember what order to put the lines in. and Yeah. Uh, mentions and they like, clearly but, weren't his words. You know what I mean? They aren't things he would normally say. So it felt very unnatural. Yeah, it was like mentioning political alignments and not getting chances from certain people and stuff like this. It was it was just very weird to hear the guy who's supposed to be like this Canadian crippler, you know, killer literally. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, oh dear. <laughs> yeah, I said that and I went, oh. Sure. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those. A lot of the kind of like nicknames around him and the things that were said to him at the time, it's it's a bit rough trying to say them now. Yeah, but you know what I mean. Like that character yeah. he had, and then you hear him talking about this stuff. It's just it it didn't fit. Yeah, that's that's for damn sure. Um, thankfully his poor promo was saved because DDP came out, and I think probably to date maybe with the exception of larry zabisco the first couple of weeks the best promo i've seen so far yeah. on our run of thunder he cuts another thing that like again ddp i knew i loved him back in the 90s but i you know by the time he was a creepy stalker and you know positively page and stuff like that i'd forgotten why i liked him <clears throat> so it's really good to come back and kind of see him in his pomp here and uh, a thing, again, that is often not heralded about him, so eminently comfortable on the microphone. Um, so he, he pops up coming in through the crowd for reasons. Uh, he's a big fan of kind of coming, you know, celebrating the crowd, coming out through the crowd. So he's here in the crowd. He's cutting a promo. In this promo, uh, to set up uh, giving a shot to Benoit uh, for the US title next week, he puts over himself... Mm-hmm. he puts over Benoit he puts over the belt and he puts over the fans and and the company as well like brilliant all in a in, really, all and it doesn't feel artificial like two or three minutes yeah doesn't feel artificial like nope. it feels genuine he's coming out here and he talks about kind of like how he was hungry and the office told him he wasn't supposed to be a main eventer and here he is the US champion and he's like I see that same hunger in your eyes and I know they tell you you're not a main eventer but I know you can be and because I respect you so much I'm giving you this shot and because I respect the fans so much and they want to see DDP and Chris Benoit I'm going to give you this shot um, because it's what WCW and the fans deserve. And I was just like, oh, by the end of this, I was nearly standing applauding myself. <laughs> yeah, it, it was like the the per- DDP was the perfect guy to give that kind of promo. Yeah. Um, like, I think earlier in during his match in the opener, they, uh, Marshall referred to him as the people's champion. Mm. He really was. like He genuinely like beloved by the fans. And um, the only disappointing thing I'd say about this is that you probably could have saved this and not touched until the pay-per-view. Oh, yeah, they could have, yeah. But, you know, next week on Thunder, you know, you're still trying to get the show over as being a big deal, so that's something to tune in for in the main event next week. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Out next, we got the main event. We sure do. We sure do. Uh, Nash and Conan. Uh, Conan being the caddy here and carrying both belts uh, versus the Steiners. Uh, at which point, what, is it Brain... Or Lee Marshall, who corrects Tony and said, you know, he wants to be referred to now as Big Sexy the Giant Killer. Uh, I'm not sure which one it was, but I had the same thing written down. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, proper Kevin Nash kind of stuff, like <laughs> referring to himself as that. Oh, it's great. Uh, the match, it's a whole lot of nothing, isn't it? Oh, it's bad. It's bad and it's short. Uh, yeah, this is. I'm starting to notice a running theme in these main event segments. It's Conan. Uh, yeah, <laughs> of course it's Conan. Um, 
but you know in addition to the the conan of it all i'm noticing a running theme when the uh the kind of the big nwo guys are in a main event on thunder mm-hmm. not only is it poor because none of them want to do anything on television uh but as well as that it feels like they're overrunning and need to end everything quickly um yeah it's almost like all the promo segments should have been you know timed out <laughs> and yeah. not just told to go out and cut a promo or whatever or matches like overrunning stuff like that um yeah yeah it was it was pretty shit uh, so yeah, matches a lot of nothing uh, until Buff comes out to flex at Scott again. That 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 feud must continue, I guess. Uh, Nash hits Rick with the belt for the DQ, and then drops Little Nate with the jackknife, uh, ensuring another fifty k fine. And in addition to this fine, he gets arrested because not only now is it banned in the company, but apparently jackknife power bombs are illegal. Uh, so he gets arrested, and I think, you know what, this is at the point where, look, the booking of the NWO is shite, it's all over the place, but another case of, my god, Kevin Nash is a truly entertaining man, because he's getting, he's making Kennedy assassination references as he's getting dragged out. I wrote it down, make sure Jack Ruby isn't back there. Yeah. (laughs) Like, Oz... This man has been in a main event. He's taken two bumps. He's getting yeah. arrested, and he's cracking jokes. Yeah. That man he earned is, yeah. every fucking dollar. Make sure Jack Ruby isn't out there. Oswald got us, <laughs> and then, or Oswald got it like this, and then goes off the air screaming down the barrel of the camera, "I'm a patsy! I'm a patsy!" <laughs> oh god, I can't wait till he's like properly a baby face. Oh, he's wearing his glittery turban. <laughs> what a time to be alive. I might not make it through that show. I might not make it through many more, to be honest. <laughs> Speaking of which, that is the end of uh, Thunder Episode 4. How are you feeling? This was the first one that like felt a little bit of a drag. Um, yeah. I'm not optimistic about future episodes. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, yeah. because like there was some stuff on here where it just wasn't explained why certain things were happening or what like they were talking about things during matches yeah. that weren't really explained. Um, it just doesn't look good for the future prospects of what we're going to know about. No, 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 it really doesn't. Um, before we wrap up here, uh, give me your winner and loser for this week's Thunder. My winners of the night are DDP because obviously he came he had such a really a really good match in the opener and then that really great promo that we yep. just talked about and Kevin Nash because of course Kevin Nash exact same exact same um, biggest loser Conan because of course he is I think that's just going to be a standard answer for you isn't it <laughs> anytime he's on the program just like my standard answer is going to be fucking disco <laughs> I hate him so much man um. Yeah, but uh, I mean, the episode passed without there was no luchadors. Nope, there was no Randy we Savage. One, we had one martial arts division match, technically. <laughs> Maybe, Maybe. Uh, there was no Randy Savage, no Lex Luger, no Sting, no. Hall. Yeah, that was another kind of like our first episode, uh, kind of or no, our third episode teased to a Walker Texas Ranger video package that we never got, at least on the network version. Mm-hmm. This whole show seemed to be teasing towards Randy Savage coming out in the main event, and he never fucking showed up. No, like there was, like there was a lot of people missing. Like I say, no Luger, no Sting, no Hogan, no Brett, no Flair, no Bischoff, yeah. no no Larry. Yeah, I miss Larry already. I gotta say, um, yeah, my 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 winners are DDP and Kevin Nash as well, and my loser, as I said, is Disco. Um, that is going to do it for episode 4 of Thunder and episode 5 of Days of Thunder um, thank you all for, for listening again, for tuning in we're at WCW Thunder Pod on, on the tweet machine uh, I'm at the day to Dave and Lee is at Malone underscore 713 
we uh, we will be back in two weeks talking about episode five of Thunder in the meantime share it with your friends subscribe to us on whatever podcast app you like to listen to podcasts on we're also available on, not only on iTunes and all kind of services that use the iTunes library uh, we are also on SoundCloud we are also on Spotify we are also on Stitcher everywhere good podcasts are sold as I often say um, and yeah we will see you in two weeks talking episode five of Thunder See y'all later. Bye. I can see through the stars inside you. I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart. I can see through the stars inside you.